the tenth day for the holy souls in purgatory, for those who during their life were most devoted to St. Joseph. And this meditation is a little bit longer, but there's a beautiful part of it which is telling the story, a true story, of a Carmelite nun's intercession, which lifts the veil on what goes on behind the walls of convents. If we reflect on the close alliance St. Joseph has with the Incarnate Word and his Immaculate Mother, we must surely acknowledge him worthy of our deepest love and veneration. One of the best modes of honoring him is to supplicate the Most High for souls who were devoted to him during life and are now suffering in purgatory. St. Joseph may be regarded as the special patron of purgatory because he is, after our Blessed Lady, the most powerful and charitable of all the saints. The Prime Minister of Egypt had authority to open or shut the gates of the prison at will, which has always been considered a privilege of the highest order. Thus it is with St. Joseph, of whom the first Joseph was a true type. Assured of the power of our Holy Patriarch, can we doubt his goodwill? Who can express his burning zeal in favor of the poor sufferers in purgatory, who are in his eyes all beautiful by sanctifying grace, beloved by God, and destined soon to enjoy the beatific vision in the realms of bliss? St. Joseph, before entering into heaven, passed through limbo, which doubtless was not a place of torments like purgatory. Still, it was not heaven. Here, eager souls sighed for the coming of the Messiah and saluted him from afar. This great saint mingled his desires with theirs. In consoling the souls in purgatory, St. Joseph continues the merciful avocation divine providence assigned him in limbo. It is acknowledged that the saints have in heaven a particular power to perpetuate the mission exercised by them on earth. Therefore, the church implores of certain saints recognized as mediators of grace to avert impending horrors of war and of others to obtain graces analogous to those which they had procured for their neighbor during life. St. Joseph, having been destined by God to bring consolation to the souls in limbo, he, like a beautiful aurora, dissipated the darkness of night by announcing to them their approaching deliverance. With what joy must they not have greeted his arrival? Each one came to him to hear of the long-wished-for Messiah. Adam and Eve wished to learn particulars regarding her who had been announced to them as destined to crush the serpent's head. Abel wished to know him whose blood cried to heaven for mercy more eloquently than his for vengeance. Abraham exalted with joy at the thought of seeing him whom he had so long yearned to behold. St. Joseph listened with rapture to the saint whose name he bore and of whom he had been a figure. The prophets were in ecstasy at the realization of their inspired prophecies. St. Joseph related to them the marvels of which he had been the witness and cooperator. Who more capable of speaking of our blessed Lord and his Holy Mother than he who had the happiness of sharing in their dolors and joys for thirty years, he who so often carried in his arms and pressed to his heart the desire of all nations. In a word, he whom the God incarnate called Father and obeyed with filial affection, and whom Mary, Queen of Angels and Saints, and Mother of God, revealed, revered as her chaste spouse. The beautiful mission of Consoler of the Dead is too glorious, 
too dear to God and to the saints, not to have it still continued to St. Joseph after the ascension of our divine Redeemer. A venerable writer says that the Son of God, having the keys of paradise, has given one to his Immaculate Mother and the other to St. Joseph. O oh, then, you who so much love the dear departed ones, you who still weep at the remembrance of a cherished parent, a beloved brother, or sister, or dear friend, have recourse to St. Joseph. You who dread the flames of purgatory, invoke jo St. Joseph, for though he is the mediator of all who are detained in those cleansing flames, he exercises special influence in behalf of persons who during life have been distinguished for their zeal in honoring him. Lastly, after the example of St. Joseph, let us be messengers of joy to those helpless souls detained captive in the fiery prison by offering fervent prayers and gaining indulgences for their relief. And now the account, the true account of a Carmelite nun. Sister Marie de Saint-Pierre, Carmelite of Tours, was very much devoted to praying for the poor souls in purgatory. One of them seems to have especially claimed the spiritual alms of her holy prayers. In reading the following account given by herself, she, we cannot fail to be edified by the re tender, holy ardor with which she devoted her prayers and penances to the relief of those departed souls who seemed in greatest need of them. The sudden and frightful death of the Duke of Orléans, eldest son and presumptive heir of King Louis-Philippe, had just cast a deep gloom over all France. A spirited horse attached to his carriage having run off, the duke was thrown out and dashed against the ground with such violence that he died almost instantly. The news spread like wildfire and even penetrated the precincts of the Carmel of Tours. Everywhere it made a profound impression, especially as the duke had some years previously, in spite of the remonstrances of the Archbishop of Paris, and to the great scandal of Catholics, married a Protestant princess. For this reason, many persons were inclined to regard his death as a chastisement from heaven. One Sunday, writes the sister, I was making my usual mental prayer. No thought of the Duke of Orléans, no thoughts of the Duke of Orléans were in my mind. I had indeed heard vaguely of the accident, but had never dreamed of praying for this poor prince since his death when suddenly the memory of him came vividly before me. During the recitation of the little hours of the divine office, I was most profoundly impressed with the feeling that his soul was suffering in purgatory and needed succor. It seemed to me that the nearer I approached the divine heart of Jesus, the deeper became my emotion, and my utterance was at last so choked by tears that I could with great difficulty recite the office and choir. I felt myself most strongly attached to this suffering soul, whom our Lord desired to deliver from the flames. Having received Holy Communion for him, Jesus inspired me to offer to his eternal Father for this intention all his infinite merits. During my thanksgiving, it seemed to me that my soul met his in our Lord, and I then said to him, Poor Prince, what now remains to you of the world's grandeur and riches? Behold, you are today glad indeed to receive the benefit of a humble Carmelite's Holy Communion. Remember me when you enter heaven. Our Lord urged me to pray for him, and with such extraordinary charity that it was even greater than had ever moved me for my nearest relatives. 
he suggested to me to offer for this soul's relief all he had suffered when crowned with thorns and ridiculed as a mock king, and before a picture representing the stage of his sacred passion, I passed the rest of the morning praying for the prince. Three times that day I recited in the presence of the Blessed Sacrament the six paters, aves, and glorias to gain the numberless plenary and partial indulgences attached to these prayers in connection with the blue scapular and which are applicable to the dead. Next morning, Monday, I was again inspired to receive Holy Communion for the same intention. This suffering soul seemed inseparably attached to mine, accompanying it everywhere, and all the acts of mortification I performed were for its repose. On the 20th of March, the sister writes thus to the mother prioress, As I have reached the end of the fortnight during which you allowed me to abandon myself into our Lord's hands, to suffer whatever he judged proper, making an offering of it in behalf of the suffering soul in purgatory, now absorbing my attention. Permit me to give you an account of all that has taken place in my soul during the 26th of February to the 19th of March. I will say in all simplicity that my soul felt for this poor prince a tenderness akin to that which urges a mother to be ever seeking remedies for a sick child. Day and night have my thoughts been occupied with the alleviation of his sufferings. At last I asked my holy guardian angel never to let me lose sight of him until he had entered heaven, and I believe he has charitably granted my request, for supernatural feelings have incessantly prompted me to offer all my actions for his deliverance. Every communion except one, which duty required me to give a departed sister, all the prayers I recited, the holy sacrifice of the Mass, many times the stations of the cross, the penances you have allowed me to perform, were the suffrages I had the consolation of presenting to God in behalf of this soul. Though you have seen my face swollen, I must say that my corporal sufferings were slight, and I was deeply grieved that they were. It was upon my soul our Lord imprinted the seal of suffering. To that sweet union and interior peace, I had enjoyed, succeeded to that sweet union. Sorry, to that sweet union and interior peace I had enjoyed, succeeded a terrible storm. Our Lord hid Himself, making me thus feel most keenly my misery and unworthiness. Darkness indeed followed light. Yet, though the divine Master was striking me with one hand, He sustained me with the other and gave me courage to say to Him, My God, only preserve me from offending Thee herein, and willingly do I accept these trials that through them this poor soul may the sooner enter into bliss and glorify thee for me. Behold, Lord, this is all I desire. The feast of our Holy Father St. Joseph was approaching. I made a novena in preparation for this great solemnity, supplicating the glorious saint to obtain of God thereon this soul's deliverance and promising to continue the penances I had been permitted to perform. On the eve of the feast, my emotion was almost overpowering, through the ardor of my desire. I was in inexpressible torment. I could scarcely take my food, and with difficulty could I restrain my tears. My soul was wounded, but truly by a sentiment wholly supernatural, for I had not even known the prince. Ah, if ever, ah, if ever I felt the privation of my vow of poverty imposes, 
It was then, for most assuredly any little funds in my possession would have been appropriated to masses for him. But a consoling thought came to mind. I said to myself, Everything have I given to my heavenly spouse. Consequently, he has reciprocally given himself to me. Hence, his goods are mine. Then, full of confidence, I offered the Eternal Father all the treasures of his divine Son to supply the deficiencies of my poverty. And I united my intention with that of every priest who was celebrating the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. Next day, the 19th of March, our Lord may be understand that I must still continue my charity in behalf of this suffering soul by offering for him the Holy Communion I was about to receive and thus gain for him the indulgence applicable to the dead. I assented to this somewhat reluctantly, for on this great feast of our Holy Order, I had intended applying to my own soul, my own special needs, the benefit of the indulgence. But since our Lord wished otherwise, I submitted to his holy will and did as he had inspired me, interceding for the Prince with all the powers of my soul and all the affections of my heart. Since that day, Reverend Mother, I am no longer troubled. The burden seems lifted from me, and I can say no prayers for him except the laudate. Hence, I believe that my feeble services, united with the fervent prayers of our sisters, have relieved him. The Most Blessed Virgin has doubtless obtained his salvation, and our glorious Father St. Joseph his entrance into heaven. For I hope, and my soul has the interior confidence, that on the feast of this great saint he was delivered from purgatory. God, however, has given me no supernatural assurance of this. I adore his designs without wishing to penetrate them, for I am most unworthy of such a grace. The prince, as is well known, died very suddenly by a terrible accident and without the consoling aids of our holy religion. But an act of sincere contrition may have obtained his salvation, the mercy of God surpassing all his works. Three years later, it was revealed to Sister Saint-Pierre that this soul, the object of such fervent prayers, had been delivered from purgatory. On the 26th of April, 1846, she writes thus, after Holy Communion, our Lord said to me, Allow thyself to follow the inspirations of grace. I obeyed, and this divine Savior began to manifest himself to me. But, oh, what shall I now say? O oh, infinite goodness of my God, assist me to speak in order that the knowledge and love of thee may be thereby increased upon earth. Suddenly our Lord said to me, Behold him for whom you so fervently prayed. I bring him to you, that he may thank you for all your charity towards his soul. Behold the excess of my mercy in his regard. Had I left him on earth, he would have enjoyed the ambition of encircling his brow with a perishable earthly crown, while now in heaven I have given him an immortal crown of glory. I beheld by an intellectual vision this soul on the side of Jesus, and as he turned toward me, I said, Ah, it is our Lord you must thank for I am nothing. It was his merits I offered to God. The soul then replied, When brought before the judgment seat of God, I was covered with the infinite merits of Jesus Christ. It is to the Blessed Virgin I owe my salvation, and to St. Joseph's assistance, my delivery from purgatory. O oh, most happy soul, I said, pray for France, pray for me. And in a transport of gratitude at the thought of God's infinite mercy, I repeated, Happy soul, pray for me. Together let us prostrate ourselves at the feet of our Lord Jesus Christ 
aid me to render him worthy homage. Our Lord then said to me, now this soul will pray for you. And I repeated, pray for me, but how, I asked, shall I henceforth invoke you? The soul answered, my name is Ferdinand. Call me Ferdinand. I assure you I was called Ferdinand. It seemed to me that he repeated this name several times, as if to prove thereby the truth of what I saw, for I did not know the prince's name. He added, I reign now with Jesus Christ. I am crowned in heaven. I continued, God's goodness is very great. I know, yet I did not dare to think you had already entered into eternal glory. But now I perceive that this was through a special act of divine mercy. I was touched to the very depths at all I saw, heard, and understood. The excess of divine charity towards this soul filled me with joy. At this moment, the turn bell rang, and I left our Lord in obedience to the call of duty. Desirous of assuring myself that what had just taken place was not an illusion, I asked one of the sisters whom I met, and who must know the name of the aforesaid prince, what it was. He was called Ferdinand, she replied. This answer produced a strong impression on me, stamping as it did the seal of truth upon what I had just experienced. Moreover, the divine operation in my soul on this occasion was of the strongest kind.